Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 10. I think it's episode 36 this week, he said. 34 was the lost episode that's not lost anymore. Uh, and so 35 must have been last week. So I'm guessing it's 36 this week. Really should have checked that beforehand. And if you think that things sound just a little bit different this evening, uh, you're very right because... Just underneath my feet and down to my left is the pit lane for the Circuit of the Americas. Yes, we're here for the Super Endurance Weekend with the World Endurance Championship and the IMSA United Sports Car Championship uh, across IMSA Radio and Radio Le Mans this weekend with full coverage, uh, mostly in sound and a bit of vision as well uh, on the streaming video pictures. Uh, Before we start introducing our guests tonight, and it does have a little bit of a a different look and feel. Let's uh, do some of uh, the housekeeping. By the way, it's Johnny Palmer up in London uh, tonight rather than uh, Tim Gray. Uh, I'm not sure if Johnny's got a headset on and was expecting to speak, but I'll say good evening to Johnny anyway, just in case. Good evening, John. I'm always ready. You know that. Oh, always ready to go. Uh, and on a packed programme tonight, Johnny, we have what? We have all the usual features. Yes, very good. He's done his own work. Excellent stuff. Uh, apologies for absence, first of all. Stuart Crooks says, uh, and he's tweeted this to at Specutainment, uh, which is where you can get in touch with us tonight. Can't listen live, but I've disguised some Bluetooth headphones into my work earmuffs so I can listen to the podcast as soon as it goes up. Um, couple of calls for... Uh, various releases to be in the show tonight. We'll try and get those in before the end. Uh, tuned in to Midweek Motorsport from my outpost in North Austin. Welcome to Texas, says Robert Stevens. Thank you, Robert. Going to be an off, awesome weekend. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, also, a number of people already have read my um, piece of writing. It's, it's a blog. Remember, a blog is just graffiti with some punctuation. Uh, on um, on um, grid1.tv, talking about uh, the two different series here this weekend. Thank you to Ray Turn Lover for his words. Uh, Simon Hoff says, um, Apologies for absence, getting ready to travel to the northeast to see a 200 plus brake horsepower icon before its rebuild starts. Can you guess what that is? Hmm. It is, in fact, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a railway train because he's put. Uh, he's, he's, I've just realised he's put a hashtag Nigel Grizzly. So Nigel Grizzly, that's a Mallard um, class train, isn't it? Steam train. I'm dying to know what your involvement is with that, Simon. Fantastic stuff. 
Uh, apologies for absence, class trick to the Brooklyn Navy Yard and packing to join you in Waterloo. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much to Dan Hansel for that. Dave Charlton says, on the Modena leg of a Newcastle to Florence road trip and at the Pagani factory tour tomorrow. Buying or just dreaming? Uh, a number of people saying happy birthday to the responsible adult. I'll add my best wishes to that as well. Um... And I think that's about it then. First live one for a while, Dominic says. Not having to work at the uh, Crooked Bullet for the first Wednesday in weeks. And Rod Chalmers saying, uh, might be my only chance at that of Mount Juic. So he's in the, on the outskirts of Barcelona. Excellent. Well worth doing. Uh, apologies for absence for Marcus Miller. He's tweeted, I expect your team on a plane, but coming to the Circuit of the Americas this weekend. Uh, lots of stuff coming in there. And a number of people making some uh, uh, comments on what we were playing just beforehand. I'll come to that in a moment. Michael Hetherington saying, apologies for lateness. Dad asked if I had 30 minutes to spare. Still here 90 minutes later. That's your dad's job. That's his job description now, Michael. Rob Janis says, uh, late meeting. Looking forward to the podcast. Uh, and uh, Jackson Jake says, working at Sebring for that first Corvette test for Dale Jr. and Senior standing right where Jr. crashed. That was the, uh, the one of the stories that came out of that excellent Tyler's long one that Jim Roller did with Doug Feehan uh, which was uh, on just before the show tonight and is now available as a podcast at RadioLamont.com uh, Tyler Kinghorn says, boarding a flight uh, to Circuit of need anything? More alcohol really, there's never enough alcohol <laughs> frankly. Listening now uh, I'm preparing my comeback with what looks like, what is that? With an, a Kyosho off-road buggy, uh, Magnus Berglund. He says it's been 20 years uh, since, he, uh, since he last partook of racing. And uh, he's back this weekend. Well done to you, sir. Uh, no apologies this week uh, from Sven Johnson listening... Uh, to the first hour, 30,000 feet up on the way to Low Star in Lock. Don't you just love Wi-Fi on a plane? Uh, Brett Vassaman, another man who's just said, thanks to the Feehan interview, informative and uh, enjoyable. Jack Chalowski, the same. And happily tuned in from Sant Cugat de Val, close to Barcelona. Uh, right turn lover. Okay. Backpool Johnny sounds like he's coming to us from the other end of a distant tunnel. Um, well, well, we'll turn him up a wee bit. Oh, and I've now just lost me tweet deck. Uh, let's uh, let's lose the bed then and say good evening to the first of our guests uh, this evening who is standing next and is standing next to me. Was sitting on the table a moment ago. It is the gearbox girl herself. Hello to Shea Adam. Hello, John. Hello, uh, Johnny. Uh, yes. Are you still there, Johnny? I am. Yes. Am I oh, any louder there? Hello, hello, hello. He might be eating. Yeah. If Could Tim left food in the fridge. Ah, that, the reason is he's only coming up that, that line there. Hello, Johnny? Hello, John. Ah, yes, See, okay. the chance of, of Tim leaving any food in the fridge is remote. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as, as always, I've had to bring my own. But I'm happily uh, having a bit of dinner right now. All right, we'll leave you to that. All right. Thanks, Johnny. More from uh, Johnny Palmer uh, perhaps later in the programme. Cars are on the circuit at the moment are the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. It's their first practice. And I can tell you at the moment that the 13 Rum Bum Porsche has the fastest time in that uh, session, 2.23.5, as opposed to Billy Johnson in the presumably restored to health 
um, 350 Shelby, um, which wasn't a 350 Shelby last time around. It was a 302 Boss Mustang, was it not? It was uh, at VIR after the accident that occurred out on track. Those Multimatic guys scrambled to get the car down, did a fabulous job. But yeah, they are back with the car that they won with at uh, Lime Rock, I believe it was, that they came away with the win. They'll be strong this weekend as well. Those Ford ponies sure like to play on these long straights. And uh, apparently it's uh, it's it's Shea and I that sound like we're in a tunnel, not Johnny. My apologies. We did uh, have to go that. through a tunnel to get into the track. Se- several tunnels, yeah. yeah. It's fine leaving us, Jack. Uh, we'll get Johnny to uh, have a listen into uh, what's actually going out onto, uh, onto the, the web and see if he can uh, clean that uh, up for you. Hello, uh, hello, hello, uh, hello. Yes, hello. <laughs> Uh, pack programme tonight, many of the usual features, not always in the same order. Nick Damon hopefully joining us from somewhere in the UK uh, this evening later on. Marshall Prout of Racer.com won't have Graham tonight. He's on a British Airways flight into Austin uh, on his way here. Um, the nine-hour Dreamliner flight. He should wave upon coming into land, though, because depending on the way the wind's blowing, you do come in over the circuit. And he will be coming in just about as we finish uh, this evening. It's just after five past two here in Texas. This is one of the earlier times in the day where I am that we do the show. The very earliest, of course, is when we're in Bathurst. And we do it at half past dark in the morning on the day after that it actually goes out. And I still don't get that. Uh, it is 2 o'clock in the afternoon here. We'll run through till 4, which is 8 till 10 in the UK. Do the rest of the arithmetic yourself. Uh, big weekend here, but also another Formula One weekend here coming up. It's Singapore. Uh, the night race, always very spectacular, but a little bit of, not controversy, but a little bit of worry about the, the situation there with p- potential issues with smog. Well, there are certain levels that are considered healthy in terms of smog, 200 being very unhealthy. Right now, the level in Singapore is 222, so it's not only above very unhealthy, it's at the point where they actually canceled school earlier in the week because they didn't find it safe for school children to go to their studies. They've got health centers set up all around the city for people to go to if they're not feeling well. But the thing is, it's not smog as you would normally consider. It's actually from forest fires in Indonesia. So it's not like car-related pollution. It's not only that, at least. Um, It is a bit of an issue for the race because, keep in mind, these guys are athletes. They will be breathing this in a lot because you're breathing a lot when you're working hard. It's not the best situation, but they're not going to cancel the race. And, John, as you said earlier, it's a forest fire, so all Bernie has to do is wave his hand and make it go away. Be gone, forest fire. I, I don't quite see that working this weekend, though. It, it, it happens. Uh, Nick Holland has said, we all sound remarkably in the same room now. Well done to the tech. Uh, and not right away, says, apologies for absence, but at this time uh, of the TV season, it's cake or motorsport. Ah, Ooh. it must be the Great British Bake Off back on again. Been a bit of controversy about that because that's recorded and somebody leaked the result and put a bet on it. No. Yeah. Yeah, apparently so. There's been, the, 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 all the betting has been suspended. Hello to Bill Adam tonight, listening uh, to um, Shea and I, listening to Shea and me. Uh, wish he was here. We wish you were here as well, uh, Bill. I'm, it's just made me very envious, though. Rode a BMW 1000RR at Circuit <laughs> the Americas. Much more nervous than an R8. Yes. he. Uh, I f- think he said it was 184 miles an hour was how quick he got up to on the backstretch. But that was a test that he did uh, a few months ago. 
He's dying to get out here, though. Uh, only smog level considered healthy surely is zero, says uh, Johannes Quagliere. Well, yes, Johannes, that, that is true. There are certain levels that you can live with, obviously, <laughs> being in certain Sorry. part of the world. That's kind of what you're stuck with. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing not at what you were talking about. Jack Szilowski, um gets our tech op of the week awards. Sorry, he says, just remembered my computer is in gaming mode, which adds a fair bit of reverb. <laughs> <laughs> So we sounded like we were coming through a karaoke machine there. Don't get me started. Uh, been a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of coming and going, toing and froing in the Formula One world this week. Nick and Tim both suggesting that the issues with Renault might not be a good thing for the sport. And and this week Renault coming out and saying that yeah we're going to be bored of this now and maybe we just won't supply anybody else. Well, what else can they do at this point? They're losing all their main teams. So, yeah, they can back off for a year and then come back in as a new supplier. But So that means they can rebrand the engine as something else. And as Nick explained last week, that means they don't have to have the same design. They can go with something completely different and put everything that they've learned into the new engine. Yes, but that's sitting out here. That's making no money for a year. It's also not losing money if you lay everybody off. But if you're not doing anything for a year, that's just going right into the hole. You're not you're not helping your company. You're not making yourselves look good. So even if you come back to a very strong season, even if they win the world championship their first year back, how in the world are they ever going to make up all this money that they've already lost? Well, the question is, they've got at the moment they've got no chance whatsoever, have they, of doing anything with the unit that they've got? Nick always predicted that somebody would get it wrong and someone would get it very right. I'm not sure we expected that it would be Renault who would get it as wrong, excuse me, as they have done, whereas Mercedes-Benz clearly have got it very, very right indeed. What have they got to lose at this point? Because they're currently, they are stuck with that engine architecture, which is clearly the wrong way to have gone. Yes, but if they... At this point, they would almost be better to go and do a P1 project or something else, because... They have that that year where they can't partake. And if they take that year and hedge all their bets and something goes terribly wrong with it and they get it very, very wrong again, mm. they're done. No, that's true. So it, it's a very risky predicament that, that they're facing. And it's almost a question of do they run around and look like Manor for a year? Or it, it's just a hard position to be in. I, I don't envy it. Question then, well, you mentioned Manor there as well. Uh, some driver news there as well? Yeah, big driver news for a certain American. Alexander Rossi gets to do uh, his F1 debut this weekend, which is very, very exciting over in Singapore. He's already driven in test sessions before. I believe he drove the test session here last year at Circuit of the Americas, which was very fun to see. Uh, that was with Caterham, I if I'm remembering you correctly. You were here for that, weren't you? I was here for that. I should remember that. Um, but he gets to drive in the race. He gets to do not only the one, but five of the remaining seven. Uh, the only two that he's missing is because they conflict with his uh, GP2 schedule. And he is still doing well in that. I mean, keep in mind, the kid just won two races. He's he's not necessarily a championship threat to Stoffel Van Dorn because it's Stoffel Van Dorn. But he is still in it, and you don't want to take any chances of backing out of that, even if it is for F1 experience. A championship, or even being second in a championship, is far more valuable than, oh, yes, I've driven five F1 races. 
and and why is he in then? What's happened to Mary? He's been a bit of a bad boy lately. Well, <laughs> but it's nothing to do with that, I hear. No, well, clearly the uh, the diet didn't work, John. The last time I was on Midweek Motorsport, I think we were discussing the fact that he was bailing out of uh, certain food groups because he was trying to catch up to Will Stevens on the time chart. So he was going on a diet. Um, clearly, the diet didn't work enough and financial reasons whatever it is it the bottom line is that Rossi gets to be in the car for five races and it's an excellent opportunity for him we were very disappointed a few weeks ago hearing about Haas not choosing an American F1 driver now there is going to be an American F1 so it may not be with the same team but the end result is the same so it's a it's a very exciting time for him. I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, he's a guy who we've seen in uh, IMSA competition before. He's driven with the Deltwing program a few years back. And it'll be good to see him in something extremely, if not competitive, challenging for what he's been used to. Because he's been used to quick cars. It's a fair point. Yeah, he has been. Uh, a Renault engine in a Lotus chassis would be supposed to beat a Red Bull chassis with a Ferrari engine. Uh, says right turn lover we'll see about that yeah. uh, Nick Holland more to Renault than just the power unit uh, quoting Stephen Gate at the gate at Gateman uh, saying from what I hear they are not if they are not granted historical status which brings the dollars they'll pull out completely which means no engine at all and probably goodbye Lotus and mm. um, we need to explain that for those who perhaps don't know if they go away and then come back, then clearly you don't get the carryover of any team money that would be um, paid to them uh, in, in terms of taking on the Lotus team. And the, the thought is that they're going to wait for Lotus to go bust and buy them in the fire sale and then rebrand an engine as a Lotus. Now, that seems like a good idea, but of course the problem would be is if they didn't then get the cash that came with Lotus's previous points haul. And we've talked about this many times before with both uh, Caterham and Marussia. Um, uh, Caterham, who we've not seen back, and uh, Marussia, who of course are back, although have not yet still paid all of their uh, debtors from their, their creditors, excuse me, from their their uh, first iteration. Um, isn't it farcical that F1 engine suppliers can't choose to build new engines if they so desire, says Johannes Quagli. Uh, I, I don't disagree, and I think you know we'll get Nick Damon on uh, in the second hour of tonight's programme, mostly to talk about two-wheel stuff, but Nick will say Formula One's meant to be the pinnacle, and spending money, surely, isn't the issue in Formula One. It is for the guys at the back who haven't got it, but that's always been the case, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, look down at some of the old uh, early 90s races and see some of the names at the back of the grid on those. And then look at what those people went on to do. They were driving cars that were more limited by funds than the people up front, than than the Williams, than the Mm. Ferraris, than the McLarens. But they still were able to do some things because they didn't have budgets, but they had cars that were maybe a little less competitive. They had their own class, effectively. And uh, then you look at the series that we've got out on track this weekend, John, the WEC. They are innovating week in and week out. The Porsche noses, as I was walking back to uh, our booth, they look different than they did at Le Mans. And of course, that's something to be expected. But they look different than they did at the Nürburgring pictures I saw. It's every week. Almost certainly will be. They'll be just slightly tweaking things and not for, you know, not just for fun. 
uh, are people looking now and, and major manufacturers looking at, at sports cars and looking at the relevancy of the technology? Um, Rosberg's on his fourth engine already this season. Fifth, uh, I believe, for this weekend. Oh, really? There was an article oh, about him getting God. another new engine. Well, because he can't exactly use the one from Monza. That one yeah. went poof. Yeah, <laughs> that did. That one said goodbye in a very spectacular yes. way. Uh, it, I don't think it does the sport any good. And, you know... Sit down, collective, because uh, many people think I don't like Formula One and I'd do anything to criticise it. That's not the case. I've always been a big fan of Formula One. I have got some issues in the way that it is held up as the absolute pinnacle and in the way that it's reported by some of the guys who live clearly in a in a bubble. But it, it is, it, it, you know, it's it's a disgrace at the moment that it where it's where it is, and that the situation is such that we are talking far more about who's got tokens. And I cannot get out of my head every time we talk about tokens, somebody trading in stuff at a penny arcade somewhere and and picking up some fluffy animal. Why can't they just get, you know, like like the, the electronic thing that registers as, oh, no, it's not... It's not. Tolbooth tokens we're talking no, no. about. <laughs> <Sorry. Devin> Brennan. <laughs> have I come in at the wrong time? Perfect timing, perfect timing. So all the cars that have to have, you know, that Velcro where you stick the thing on the uh, as you drive through. <laughs> the Sun Pass in Florida. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. Jetons, as they call them in uh, in supermarkets in, in France. The little the little plastic things that you stick into your shopping cart so you don't have to put a euro this, in. This is Formula 1. They wouldn't be plastic. No, no, they would tokens be would titanium. not be plastic. Solid gold. Yeah, titanium or unobtainium. Absolutely. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, it is just after a quarter past eight in the UK, just after a quarter past two here in Texas at Specutainment. Here's a thought. Talking about Formula One, and we'll move on to other things in a moment with Marshall Proud coming up uh, and Nick Damon in the second half of tonight's programme talking to World Motorsport Action. Um, here's a thought then. Are we getting closer? And Declan, I'll throw this to you. We're talking about the issues that Renault have waiting for Lotus to go pop and now saying that if Lotus don't get... Uh, historical, granted historical status, they won't take the team on and they won't even bother with engines. Lotus then doesn't have a future, another team disappears. Are we getting to the stage now where Formula One have got to look at teams supplying year old chassis to other teams, to the teams at the back of the grid, in order to try and. The, the cost capping hasn't worked. Uh, the engine cost capping still isn't working in, what was it, 163 places of grid penalty in the last race. It's farcical. Well, the cost capping hasn't worked because it was half-baked. And not, it was, a, a, it was a tog- literally a token gesture. Hey! <laughs> I see what you did it, there. It, there's been no, there's no desire <clears throat> amongst the teams at the top to cost cap. Uh, none at all. And, and we will get into a situation where we're left with three or four teams. Uh, at this rate, stock car racing is doing is hap- exact same thing is happening. We're losing more teams this year. Uh, even the multi car teams at the top are, are reducing, but, but all and all the money, all the sponsors you notice are gravitating to the top, and that's going to mm. happen. That's going to happen with Formula One, where where nobody will be able to find money because uh, nobody will be interested in 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 being associated with a Marussia. Well, any, but but the point being that unless they there's a proper root and branch. Uh, uh, action taken in terms of how we really, really boil this down and do something that's effective that uh, keeps 
provides spectacle that allows for some level of development but can be managed in terms of costs. Mm. And that's the thing that they keep saying, oh, but we can't manage it or, or it's impossible to manage. No, it is possible to manage. They just don't want to do it. Well, and Red Bull are first amongst that. that they have they blew through the cost cap. They said they weren't going to sign up to it. Um, they spent in the last couple of years more than any two other teams put together. So I'll go back then. Is there a case then to say that the guys at the front of the field... You know, we've, we've got... What's interesting about this is we've got nearly a spec series in terms of how proscriptive the regulations are on engines. Yeah. Mercedes clearly have done a better job. Renault clearly haven't done a good job at all. The chassis, there's hardly anything really that's terribly exciting or different nowadays. People play around with aero till the cows come home and maybe tweaks in suspension but there's nothing there because the regulations again are so tight there's nothing there that is going to make one chassis massively different from another well, chassis you've answered your own question because if you if you do if you are a small team and you do get last year's chassis there's in the old days if you were a small team you might occasionally get an edge because you could innovate somewhere you could do something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if there's no way to innovate, mm. there's, there is almost no point in having a year old chassis because you know whatever development the team has invested in and, and is, a, is using on a new the, car. But there's not the big jumps that we used to see from the start of the season to the end of the season now. Yes, you see people trying out things with floor vis on and you know doing huge wind tunnel and CAD programs, but you're not seeing the massive lap time changes that we used to see back in... The 60s, the 70s, and 80s from the beginning of the year, the end of the year. So we've all we've got stability almost as close as you can do in Formula One. So at least if you say right, here's a year old chassis for X amount of money, cost capped. Every one of the top four teams, let's say that chassis manufacturers that 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 finish in the top four of the of the championship, maybe they have to be told to supply, and then at least that's a development cost that the team doesn't have to have, the smaller teams don't have to have. At that point, at least they can put money into paying their bills and actually getting to the circuit. No? No, I see. Uh, the commercially, it just... It, if, if I was in that position, my first thought would be, okay, right, so, so I, I have, have, have a lower cost, cost of entry. That's good, okay. But I still have to get to the track. I still have, have very high running costs. Uh, okay, I'm going to need sponsors. To need sponsors, I'm going to have to show some level of performance. How do I do that? I can't. And this is back to the original question, which is yet to be answered. Is What we're not exploring is the fact that Formula 1 costs many, many, many more times than it needs, uh, budget than it needs to. Uh, uh, not Marussia, the other, but uh, Caterham who went mm-hmm. bang. Uh over six hundred million dollars they spent mm-hmm. between two thousand and eight, when the, when they started and now, mm-hmm. and they were paupers. Mm-hmm. Six hundred million. But but that's what Red Bull are spending in a season. But yeah, and and this is the point we should be making is that that is all ludicrous. It's ludicrous. There has to be another way of looking at this at a, at a very back to what I said about but really from from a, a, a sporting and technical regulations. Look at it and say, okay, how can we put on something that the fans still believe is the pinnacle of a sport? Yep. Uh, will will produce close racing, and uh, and with with lower cost of entry, and it doesn't ha- it doesn't have to be the way it is now. There's no reason to. It just is because that's how it it always has been done. Is this 
and, and this we're going off off track a little bit here, but I like the the train of thought from Fabian W. He's tweeted in at Speculatement. He said, "Is this a salutary tale for the WEC with four chassis suppliers? Could end up in the same situation as F1 engine suppliers here, where one of them isn't as good as the rest, and if you've got a bad product, three four seasons you can't change it." Yep. That's exactly what it could be. Mm. And that's something that they need to be cognizant of because there can only be one that is the best. There can be four that work well in their own ways, but there Mm. will be one that is the weakest. And teams who have that first one that is the weakest, if they can afford to then change, they might change. So you could wind up with then three chassis, then two chassis, then eventually, if it stays the way it is long enough, just one. If if Formula 1... Uh, isn't if it, if it isn't the home of of technology transfer mm-hmm. and innovation uh, that goes directly to the to the road car and that's really the preserve of sports car racing then formula One should just do whatever it wants no i agree and and i and i and i actually and think the reining back of out-of-the-box thinking in Formula 1 is the worst thing yeah. that could uh, ever happen to uh, us. And what I'm, what I'm suggesting is a really almost a, a, a vanilla set of regulations that are but with room to room to, 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 to innovate, but without having this idea that that innovation has to be something that, that the FIA is driving towards road cars. Like, like the, like the, I know it's an old example, it's 1978, but the fan car, nobody's going to suggest that in two weeks' time, Saab, we're going to develop a, fa- you know, a fan car after that car won the Swedish Grand Prix. You didn't see the 9-5 the whisk <laughs> then, did you? Uh, Nick Holland says, um, Formula 1 and Formula 1.5 is the future. One unlimited, the second maybe on hand-me-downs and capped uh, with non-manufacturers like LMP1 and BIS. Not sure that works, but I'm not. But uh, Carol Brink says, so does motorsport and Formula 1 in particular need to look at the Major League Baseball and NFL profit-sharing models? I'd rather they looked mm. at the M- MLB's use of wooden bats. <laughs> and I'm absolutely serious. Yeah, You know, uh, they, they, no carbon fibre, no uh, aluminium or indeed aluminium. Uh, you know, this idea that, that I, 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 back to this idea that they, the fundamental uh, issue is here: is it technology or is it, or is it, is it a show? Is it entertainment? And more formally, one is still at the very top, run by engineers who are only in. Even Ron Dennis is I'd an engineer. Love, I'd love that to be the case, but I don't think it is. Oh, I think uh, the, the people who drive um, are still are, are, there is an awful lot of them who are engineers. James Ryder says it's clear the cost cap will never work in Formula One teams. Beat nearly any rule. The only answer, in his opinion, is a fairer dollar share. It's almost it's almost like the the draft system as well, isn't it? In, in various parts of American sport, it's very hard. And Shea, for her sins, is a Raiders fan, so she knows how hard it is to oh, yeah. to break through and 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 build any kind of long term plan there. But even at the sharp end of the sport, Shea, it's hard for a Major League Baseball team or an NFL team to have consistent success over many years because of the various capping because of the draft system. It's not easy to just transplant that into motorsport, and particularly into Formula One, is it? No. Well, and you say it's not easy to have continuing success. Somehow the Raiders have managed to be unlucky for the last seven years in the draft where everybody we've picked is. But that's a different story. Um, no, and, and the problem with 
a sort of draft system in motorsport is where do you start? Mm. Because the first few years would be miserable and everybody would want to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So how do you tell people to just deal? Well, I, I think go back a step and just think it overall. The irony of, of NFL absolutely being the most dominant just behemoth of uh, of the of the US and almost global sporting world uh, the irony of that is of course that uh, in in the home of capitalism the uh, NFL is as close you're going to get to communist nirvana <laughs> uh, everybody has it's a level playing field the revenue is shared everybody is given it's 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 a north it was it, the NFL was developed by a north london uh, primary school because the uh, the <laughs> the worst the worst teams and it get the best opportunity the next year with the draft uh, the the revenue sharing is absolutely equitable and formula 1 would never do that because formula 1 is literally is is absolutely just a microcosm of the global economy and the way it's going, it is it has absolutely already broken into the very much the tiny number of haves and the have-nots. Not to get socio-political, but there's no these people are just turkeys who won't vote for Christmas. But nobody's really replaced the cigarette money. Well, we've had this discussion on many uh, it's, occasions. It's Nick's hobby horse, and I absolutely well, agree mine, with mine. I think uh, I, I suggested it first. Well, yeah, the, the pair of you have got <laughs> something um, to. To to to, to, and, to go on about that, but John, and interestingly, where are the FMCGs? Where are the big names? Cigarette money wasn't all, wasn't just be, uh, driving uh, budgets. When you look back, if you go and read about any of the drivers over the last twenty or thirty years, when they talk about the development, you know the, the name that keeps coming back, especially if they're from the UK or Europe. John Hogan keeps coming back, and who mm -hmm. was John Hogan? John Hogan was Marlborough's racing man mm -hmm. and he was responsible for just allocating literally across across Europe uh, across all of the junior formulas money for guys with talent even Nishi got it mm -hmm. and that's well they built up the whole world championship structure didn't they yeah. throughout all forms of two and four wheel motorsport yep. and you got the posters and you got the sticker with the very very distinctive red and white and world championship team and whatever branch of motorsport you follow they had the top guy yes. in that and what they also did which I think was interesting was they put in scholarship money lower down and brought people through that's never been replicated. No. Nobody. Uh, and when those, you know, it was always said that when Formula One got rid of the demon cigarette money, the other brands, and the one that's always talked about, of course, is Coca-Cola, other brands like, global brands like Coca-Cola would come. They never have. Why not? Because there's too many, because by the time cigarettes left, there were too many other ways to develop uh, your branding that were more appropriate uh, and that were less expensive <laughs> than for well, and, 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 and cigarettes and to a certain extent alcohol even still now have were pushed into Formula One because it was one of the few places they could go in many countries yes. so it was the only way they could get exposure um, and, and we haven't got I, I, I also find Eve and I were talking about this the other night the way that in the UK in particular um, not so much in, in Europe but certainly in the UK that online betting has taken over shirt sponsorship in, in soccer, in football, in a way that we've not seen it in any other sport, and we haven't seen it in motorsport. And I think that's interesting, that the next big thing, the next big questionably moral thing in terms of sponsorship is, is online betting. Well, it's happening in the United States with what they call daily fantasy, which is 
drawn a very, very, very narrow, thin line, uh, the right side of the law regarding gambling. Yeah. And the two largest advertisers on television at the moment probably now are FanDuel and DraftKings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's one, there's more on the way. Uh, Interesting that they're not in motorsport, and, no. and we haven't seen. Or rather, they do have NASCAR. They have na- they have NASCAR uh, competitions. In, interesting, they're not in Formula One, and I think Eve hit the nail on the head, saying, "Well, the problem with that is they make their money in in-game markets and in-game betting, and there's not enough to bet on in Formula One because actually." It's very unusual that something surprising yeah. happens. Yeah, and, and in fantasy, if, if you don't pick... So, in fa- imagine in fantasy for only one, it's exactly the same as reality. If you pick the right team that dominates for the year, you're laughing. Mm-hmm. As long as you... Uh, make sure you get Lewis Hamilton first, or, or mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, but the, the the issue broadly is... Uh, is it, 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 even if, there, if cigarette money was still there... I absolutely guarantee you the marketing budgets for the most part of the cigarette manufacturers w- have not kept pace mm. with the, and this is back to my point about the spending in, in which is just stratospheric and ludicrous and absolutely unnecessary mm. um, Brian Dawkins has said MLB revenue system is similar to F1 big market teams have their own big TV deals they keep that and small market teams don't uh, so the, the revenue is spread out differently but, but there is a a, it's called a luxury tax. If you spend over the salary cap, you are massively penalised. They basically any any revenue you lose fifty percent of any revenue you make once you you go over the uh, the luxury tax uh, luxury tax proportionately, and uh, and that's redistributed to the clubs. Isn't that a monopoly thing where you have to pay two hundred dollars if you land on it? Luxury yes, tax. it's the same thing. It's just except but you add several more knots. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series Ten, Episode Thirty. Six, did we say? Yes, yes. I think we did. Uh, Declan Brennan is in the studio uh, with us. Our studio it is right next to the timekeepers uh, on the third floor of the building overlooking the... In fact, we're right on the finish line uh, here. Tent. I'm looking at the circuit, Cirque du Soleil circus That's tent, uh, by the way. Turner's uh, no, it's new Turner Motorsport, mate. It's then it's you can. Well, of course. It's the right colours. Now that they've got the BMW M3 GT... Uh, M6 GT3, um, they have to have somewhere spectacular to hang it from the ceiling. Uh, for a second there, I just thought Denise Roussos was in concert for there. Hey! <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke for the teenagers. I was so, uh, I was very disappointed uh, when Eve told me there was no lions or tigers. In, uh, no, was, none at all. Uh, it is Cirque du Soleil, after all. Um, uh, listening to Midweek Motorsport, and Marshall Pruitt joins us. Hello, Marshall. Uh, good afternoon hey. to you. Hey there, mate. Um, good to hear your dulcet tones. Um, uh, been a busy old time with you. Let's get an update on the uh, the Justin Wilson memorial auction which has gone absolutely bonkers this week uh, how's this uh, just as we uh, went online here uh, i was in the middle of sending an email to our dear friends at scuderia corsa and ferrari uh, who have donated who are just donating and will be handing off the i mean again this is amazing you cannot buy this anywhere else uh, the front bumper from the uh, Scuderia Corsa Ferrari F458 Italia, which uh, was driven and used uh, to win at the uh, Brickyard Grand Prix in 2014. 
so, you know, not only race used, but uh, won the final uh, race at the Brickyard Grand Prix. This is a Ferrari piece. Uh, this is as exclusive as it gets. I mean, where else can you find an actual carbon front race used bumper that won such an amazing race uh, that you can have uh, and put on your wall or or get some duct tape and walk around with it strapped to your back? I don't know, but uh, it's just... Well, if, if, you know, if I, if I Definitely have to find somebody who had a piece of a prototype strapped to their back, and I'd run into them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it needs to yeah. be the front of a desk. You could cr- <laughs> you could create a fantastic desk. It could here. be a great child's bed. Oh, end of a kiddie's bed. Yes. How fantastic would that be? That so it'd be up. To answer your question, Heidi, it, it's going. Not only is it going incredibly well. Uh, looking at the limited number of items that have uh, gone live so far. Right now, it's still just, uh, and I'm, I'm refreshing here to make sure I'm not completely wrong, but uh, so far, it's only the IndyCar driver helmets that were donated at the end of the uh, Sonoma season finale. But I believe today-ish, tomorrow, we should start to see some of these other incredible items uh, go up for bid. I've written about many of them. Uh, but I've also intentionally kept a few items out because I don't want to spoil all the surprises because that is one of the great things, Heidi. There are so many surprising things. I was on the phone uh, today with uh, someone who's the head of a, uh, an English mark, and they're contributing, donating some things, some experiential things, mm-hmm. which, again, you just you can't get. Uh, but on and on and on. So if it's a, a, a hard piece of something, an actual physical, tangible thing that you can buy or an experience that that you can uh, get, you can bid on, and hopefully win. There's so many things coming in. Uh, the stated goal is to bring in more than a million dollars, and uh, I don't know if that number will be reached. But I believe that based on the items coming in from the suit Lewis Hamilton wore uh, on his way to win the Italian Grand Prix uh, recently, to Lord knows what else, uh, we should be able to exceed a million dollars for Justin's family. And then I'll add one other super quick thing. This weekend, uh, the Dan Weldon uh, Memorial Charity Karting Event uh, in Indiana uh, is happening. That's something that Dan's widow Susie has put on with the uh, proceeds going to benefit uh, Alzheimer's research. Dan's mother uh, suffered from Alzheimer's. And uh, Susie Weldon, who was just speaking with uh, moments ago, uh, Susie, because she's an incredible human being, uh, she's donating half of the, those proceeds to the uh, Wilson Children's Fund. So think about that, Heidi. Uh, a beloved person who lost her husband uh, reaching out to help uh, an unfortunate uh, fellow widow uh, of an IndyCar driver. Uh, Just those kinds of things, Heidi, where if you don't tear up at some of those things, you might not be human. I've got to say that I was at uh, Justin's funeral on Thursday last and I've got to say thank you to Jonathan Palmer and Lisa um, his long-term um, PA for, for making all of the arrangements. A fabulous turnout. And it seems odd to say this, but a really lovely day. Sun shone. There was a lot of laughter. Uh, a lot of people going, oh, I'd forgotten he'd done that. Oh, my God, how did he manage to do that? Particularly in his form of 3,000 years. Really, really good day under completely the wrong circumstances. But I think... Hopefully everybody knows what I'm talking about when I when I say that. It was a great celebration. 
of, of Justin. I had a long chat with Julia, and uh, she was wanting to get back home, of course, but she is now uh, back in the States. Um, we wish them all the best, and uh, keep up the good work, MP. Uh, I know you're putting in a, a lot of hours getting that done. If you can hear cars behind us, it is because we're at Cota, Circuit of the Americas, for the Super Endurance Weekend, FIAWEC and IMSA United Sports Car Championship this weekend. At the moment, on track, the Porsche GT3s in their second practice. Championship uh, contenders uh, out uh, on the top of the timing screen. Jesse Lazare, Lucas Catania, Mark and Shai, uh, Michael Shine there. And Galpinitas Jr. down in uh, fifth position. That's a bit of a shock. And Paul Ipps out there as well. Uh, the man behind KCMG who's been doing a bit of Asian uh, GT3 Porsche Cup running. He's down in 22nd, but uh, not uh, disgracing himself at all on a c track that he doesn't know, Dex. Just to point out that Jeff Mosing, uh, also running on Jeff, of course, is using... Lives here. Yeah, uh, well, he has not, not here, he has, obviously. He has his open house tonight, which is you should go along to. It'll be magnificent. The, the stuff in his at his showroom is unbelievable. I wish I could. But I'm at uh, Audi South Austin. Oh, of course. Mm. But Jeff... Uh, is really using his time in this series to to make a massive difference to his in inverted commas pro racing. He's got to the stage now where with Eric Foss in in uh, in the Continental series, Eric Foss is now saying that he at some circuits and at some junctures is learning more from his arm, if you know what I mean, if that makes any sense. So uh, the the track time that he gets is uh, a testament to the fact that it's turning him into an absolutely brilliant, brilliant amateur driver. Mm. He was he's third in the championship last year, he wasn't was, he? Yeah, yeah, he did it. He's he, and he's just doing a, a, a great, great job. Um, Marshall Pro from Racer.com with us, up to his eyes at the moment, hoping to see him uh, this week if the, the work dies down just a little bit. Want to talk about GT3, the current version of, uh, of GT3 Cup cars for Porsche. Uh, GTs and GT3s been in the news a lot recently, and time for another update on that. It was the uh, it was the balance of performance, the dreaded balance of performance test for GTEs, the FIA and ACOs version of the the top version of the GT category out in France at Ledoux at the Michelin Test Track uh, last week, wasn't it, uh, Marshall? And we we reported that the IMSA guys had some technical people there having a look, taking data, overseeing it. Very important that they were there. Um, no BMW GTLM there. It didn't need to be for, for the ACO and FIA, but it was, it was thought it might be. But what else came out of that? Because not everybody came away happy, did they? No, and didn't write about this because, I don't know, it didn't seem worthy of a, a standalone piece, but the most surprising item, Heidi, that came out of uh, Ledoux for me was the fact that Ferrari's brand new twin turbo F, uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say F, uh, 488 uh, chassis, it's replacement next year for uh, the 458 uh, was not only plagued with aerodynamic problems, but as I was, uh, as I've heard, uh, they actually decided to curb the test, uh, end it early, because the problems were so significant they could not be rectified at that test. So uh, I'll tell you, uh, looking at the 
458's evolution, uh, specifically maybe an IMSA or the WC. Also, I guess you could look at a little bit of it in GT3 spec, not GTE. Um, we, we could say that it is, uh, on the American side, certainly received a number of BOP adjustments, uh, on the, specifically on the aerodynamic side to make it, uh, continually competitive as it is aged. Bit of a surprise, though, to hear that straight out of the box. Uh, the new lovely high tech 488 uh, needed to really just go back to uh, go back to the drawing board. Don't know what they're going to come up with on that drawing board, but no. that was a bit of a shocker. It is the newest car of all of them. It was literally finished a couple of weeks before the test, if that, and, and has done limited, very limited running. I think maybe the Aston Martin had done slightly less running, but I know that car had been in the planning for a very long time. Um, the choices, of course, whether you go for the huge diffuser or the huge wing at the back of the new GTE cars. Um, Aston have come up, and if you've seen any of the renderings, I haven't seen any pictures of the car uh, yet, but if you've seen any of the renderings, it is very um, uh, it's very smooth down the sides. It's very much a more of a street car. And uh, the, the huge diffuser under, uh, under the rear valance, uh, Porsche have been tempted back for 2016, Marshall. I think that's important uh, ahead of them developing something new and exciting for for 17. Um, what 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 intelligence, if anything? And I'm sitting in the right place, really. But we've had a good look round. We can't see anybody from BMW uh, here this weekend so far that shouldn't be here. And Cher, you haven't found any BMWs that aren't the ones that we were expecting. I think I know where they're hiding. What, in the big they're blue in, They're hiding in the Turner tent. The Cirque du Soleil tent that is taking up most of the press car parking on the other side of the, the track. But the, the, there is consternation, is there not, about the GTLM only version of this BMW Alpina M6 Coupe? There is, and granted... Uh, that there, I guess, needs. To, I think there should be some context in relation to that because uh, it would be wonderful if every manufacturer was able to spend money freely and conform to the various uh, rules and machinations from whatever sanctioning bodies. I look at things in maybe a little bit of a, a more relaxed state. If BMW built a car that is primarily or was meant to be a customer car from the outset. And uh, they have an interest in modifying that customer slanted vehicle to compete in a entirely pro championship. It's something fans would like. It would enrich the championship. Uh, I don't get too caught up in the fact that aha, it doesn't. It wasn't built from day one to be a perfect GTE vehicle. And hey, there are concessions and waivers and some workarounds needed to get there. So I know that based on feedback from fans and other you know reporters and whatnot, I might be in the minority on this topic. But uh, I maybe stress less on who conforms to every single rule mm. and maybe place a greater importance on what is in the best interest of sports car racing for its short-term and long-term health and vitality. BMW mm. fans, we know in North America, the BMW Car Club of America is massive, heavily engaged, very supportive, uh, leaving them out in the cold and BMW owners out in the cold because a GT3 car, per, by law, shouldn't be allowed in GTLM. Personally, I think that's really short-sighted. I don't, I don't follow racing for the rules. I follow racing because I enjoy it. And if 
to me, if that gets inverted, uh, I don't know if people's motivations are in the right place. The, the new GT3 has been unveiled in Frankfurt, and there's video of it testing out at Monte Blanco, going the wrong way on the track at one point, uh, at least during that video. Purposeful would describe the car. Very impressive-looking machine, and if that is the basis of the GT LM car, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how that car shapes up to its competition in what will be the WeatherTech the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship next year. Pete Sloan says Ferrari aerodynamic read cooling issues. Could be, of course, with a twin turbo. Uh, Dave Alcock saying, I heard the next Porsche GT3 will be mid-engined. The next Porsche GT3 is the, nine, the new 911. It'll be delivered around about now, actually, to its first customers. There was a thought that they might push the engine forward so that it was mid-stroke rear in a, in a 911 for the GT3. That hasn't happened. But the big story about Porsche's next GT car, it won't run next year, but in 17, the rumour will not go away that there is a new, as yet unseen, mid-engined Porsche that will be racing in GTE uh, at Le Mans. Something to go up against the new Ford. Well, don't don't uh, forget that the philosophy at Porsche has, I wouldn't say has changed, but has been modified slightly with the addition of the Cayman GT4 race car. That is a massive, year. massive step change in thinking. Yeah. And, and so it's the first time in a long time yeah. that we've seen anything come out of Porsche as a factory piece that's not built on a 911. And, that, and it was, a, it was, it was a made official this week, by the way, if you didn't know, that that will be a GS car in Conti, not an ST car. Yes, yeah. and I saw that. And, and that... And, uh, perfectly links on actually Declan thank you for that it's almost as if you'd read my um, my running order that I have tucked away in a small dark corner of my mind uh, that well, that was a very interesting set of championship regulations that came out uh, in, in terms of the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge Marshall because what it does is it moves the championship along again it's proof if proof were needed that no one is resting on their laurels there but that is a GS car and not an ST car. And I've heard a new number of people saying, frankly, that should be the car to which everything else is balanced. Well, funnily enough, that's kind of, at least in the ST category, the Cayman has been, the, well, the mm. Cayman and the and the MX-5, as Dex might know, uh, those two vehicles have essentially been the, uh, the standard bearers within ST. I know we're talking about GS, but mm. I think that, model especially in gs uh it'd be interesting uh, if we look at what gs is right now compared to the caymans that populate st in gs if it isn't a, if, it ain't a, if it ain't american and have a big v8 up front or german and have a big v8 up front it ain't in gs for the most part i mean there are again, some excep- exceptions this uh this porsche this genuine factory gt4 spec uh the, this cayman gt4 uh, i think it actually comes in as a bit of an outlier so i don't know if it's looking at the population of what's in the class right now uh i think it actually stands against what has been the norm uh, naturally mm. there are going to be concerns about well, how it competes and how it, how it fares against the Camaros and Mustangs and the BMW M3s. Uh, it would be interesting, though. Uh, I like the idea of something a little smaller, a little more svelte, uh, playing with the big bangers. 
just don't know exactly how it will end up uh, being from a competitive standpoint uh, and if it will tip balance in that favor, which could, you know, potentially see an evolution of the class away from being kind of, you know, American iron-ish. Yeah. Uh, so uh, at least between the two categories, Heindy, uh that came in or came ins uh, have been uh, ST-ish type things. Uh, but so they haven't been... In fairness, they haven't been a Porsche product. They have been developed by the teams yes. that run them. This is a genuine GT4 spec race car from Porsche, from Weissach, yes. Declan, and that's a big change. Yeah, uh, and I, I, to pick up on Marshall's point, it absolutely is a big change, hence one of the reasons it's clearly making the, the, the move up in class. I believe it will be effectively the, the Mazda MX-5 of the GS class. Yeah, It will be, on some tracks it will dominate yeah on other tracks it will it will it will it does will it mean the end for the 911 because effectively that 911 that yeah. Rumble was racing that's it that's not much more than a cup car yeah as a team who currently has one mm -hmm. uh I, I would suggest it probably is i think that they're mo interestingly of people back to what you're saying about selling year old formula one cars i think people may enter the class in cars like that for fun to some extent but the, the issue with gs now and this is something I'm sure Marshall would agree, and we've seen it before in too many other classes globally, is uh, they let the cat a little bit out of the bag in terms of, uh, uh, or let the cat in amongst the pigeons, I should say, in terms of, or maybe the bag got out of the maybe bag the and the straight into the pigeons. Stop. Stop. The pigeons were in the bag. <laughs> yeah, no. the pigeons were put into the bag. <laughs> uh, so, but the, the, the fact that we have a, an old-style Ford versus GM battle, yep. uh, both with checkbooks as well as mm -hmm. technology right now is, isn't doing the GS class any favours. Uh, I think the addition of this car could tip the balance a little bit. I think they have to look but the series and still has work to do to make sure that they they don't allow uh, it to become a, a just a, the playground of, of those factories. And obviously yeah. Porsche are not, uh, Porsche are not going to produce a factory car. They are only going to sell them. Yeah, there's no uh, factory the, team there. Yeah. Marshall? The last thing I was just going to add is that to Dex's point, I think this uh, the this Porsche model coming in brilliant and any other models similar to what is the norm you know this to me has nothing to do with uh, these call it new manufacturers and new models coming in from the manufacturers nothing to do with them in terms of the product the quality mm -hmm. etc this is entirely on IMSA to make sure that these new models coming in fit GS compared to redefined GS because uh, to Dex's point that's what we see happen far too often hey look at this brand new thing it's amazing uh, but it's made everyone else go away because it's shifted what the class was GS is fantastic needs more cars IMSA needs to make sure that new cars can come in without uh, breaking down what has been working our provision on GS entry lists uh this year, granted, I think they always got into double figures, but there was one twelve or thirteen. Well, yeah. there was one provisional one early. I think it was for Lime Rock that was nine. Yeah, there were, and that's be precisely because of this, which in fact caused the two races to be pushed together yeah. into one, because there were originally at Lime Rock it was meant to be a GS yes. and an ST race, and they were pushed back. I together. will say it also means hats off to Rumbum, by the way, because they have put that program. Granted, I, I know they have a lot. They have cubic dollars to spend, but that program with that car 
they've done a magnificent job. Oh, they're, they're batting way above their average in, in terms of you know of what that, the, the results that that car's getting against the cars out there. And you will hear people up and down the pit lane talking about BOP and who's quickest in a straight line. The Nissans, you know, the three seventies, those cars are hilariously fast in the straight insanely <laughs> quick and insanely loud and you look at them and think that can't possibly be happening but it is and right what goes on behind the scenes for balance of performance people will always be upset about that but i think that's a, a series that is is just set to to rise uh, and rise we've got a couple of minutes before the end of this hour um and just a uh, a little teaser we will of course be having the continental tie sports car challenge qualifying and the race uh, live in sound and vision here on radiolamon.com through our sister service imza radio from court from the circuit of the americas uh, this weekend um very clever aerodynamics in those 370 yeah, yeah yeah we got the through flow arrow as we know yeah obviously it's front engine too which radical um oh sorry <laughs> you want car never wrong nissan wrong nissan <laughs> yes they make the best of what they've got in so many so many different ways uh, marshall Prude's going to stay with us uh, we're coming up to the top of the hour you're listening to uh, midweek motorsport it's john hindorf with declan brennan and Shea adam we're live at quarter midweek motorsport here on radiolamont.com Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway. And coming up in the second hour, we'll have Nick Damon dashing back from foreign climbs to talk two-wheeled motorsport. MotoGP haven't spoken about that for the few weeks, and the title race is perfectly balanced. It's an absolute edge-of-the-seat thriller, uh, and Nick will be talking to us about that. More from you on Twitter. At Specutainment, please. Keep it coming to our studio here uh, in the Circuit of America's uh, pit building as the GT3 practice continues. And Angel Benitez Jr. has just put in a 2 minute 13.577 and leads the field at the moment. That's all still to come. And next, we'll have more from racers Marshall Pruitt and Shea Adam with me, John Hindup. It's Midweek Motorsport, live from Austin, Texas. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Declan Brennan has uh, left us for the time being, uh, at least. Marshall Pruitt's still with us from California. And we have uh, Florida Girl, although here in Texas, uh, with us. And I do think it's nice that she's put the uh, the long dress on and the cowgirl boots and the, the hat is particularly fetching uh, this evening, Shea, if I'm honest. I have to thank Continental Tire for all that. Yeah, yeah, all good. And I've still how, not seen... How can you see what I'm wa- that I'm wearing that as well, Heidi? That's the disturbing part. I think, and, and in fairness, you're pulling that off-the-shoulder number off really well, Marshall. I'm surprised, but you've, you, you've really pulled that off. That, that, you rock that, mate. Shay and I coordinated early. You know, that's yeah, how we get very it. Good. But he wears it better than I do. So. Uh, it's the shoulders. It He's is. got such great shoulders. Uh, Marshall <laughs> Brown with us tonight. Um, uh, we may have just put thoughts in your mind, pictures in your minds that you just can't unthink. Uh, it's Johnny Palmer back in the London studio. Tim Gray not with us this week. Uh, he's got other work to do. Um, talking GT cars there, particularly Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, um, World Challenge as well as uh, come to the end of its season with its season finale, uh, what, just a few days ago up at uh, your neck of the woods. And uh, 
a season in microcosm almost at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca and some changes at the top of World Challenge this week as well, Marshall. Yeah, Heidi, something that uh, I know many folks had maybe been asking, uh, been thinking a, a change of the CEO position might take place years ago uh, and finally has. So uh, with the Pirelli-sponsored World Challenge Series having gone through a pretty significant boom and bust cycle, uh, for the past 10 to 15 years, uh, the CEO, the previous CEO that they brought in, uh, definitely helped during a, uh, a phase where that series, along with many other racing series in North America, were, were badly hurt uh, at the economic downturn late in the 2000s, 2008, 2009 onward. Uh, helped in some areas, uh, but also hurt many others. And so the series, having uh, had a season that should have been uh, nothing but positive, should have been a, a statement-making year for Pirelli World Challenge, um, referring mostly to GT, knowing that those cars are, are for, for the most part, all of them are, if they're not 100% FIA GT3 spec, uh, the ones that aren't are built in that direction or to, to comply without receiving official homologation for GT3. But 2015 should have been the year where Pirelli World Challenge, with its incredible uh, GT class, loaded with every GT3 mark we can think of and more. Um, should have been the year where they told their customers and uh, well, specifically told their customers and drivers, there's nowhere else to think of. Uh, we have the best. We're doing the best. Mm -hmm. This is the best place to be. Knowing that IMSA was transitioning its GTD class to full GT3 spec next year, 2015 was a year for World Challenge to make a statement to make sure they held on to all of their GT clients and uh, entrants, give them no reason to look elsewhere. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, a lot of missteps, a lot of problems. You can point at BOP in some areas. You can point at driving standards in others. You can point at management issues. You can point at a lot of things that, uh, having spent a couple days in the paddock last weekend in Monterey, uh, I can tell you the, the level of discord and frustration was palpable to the point where even speaking with some folks in the Indy Lights paddock, because it was also the season finale of the Mazda Road Indy, uh, even folks in the Indy Lights paddock, who I know very well, were saying, good lord, those World Challenge people are really grumpy, uh, just having spoken with drivers, entrants, or otherwise. So the, the amount of frustration was, was bleeding out beyond just the world of fendered motor racing in that paddock. Uh, so with that uh, little bit of preamble, uh, we should have seen a much stronger 2015 from World Challenge with its GT class. The racing, uh, and mind you, I'm not talking about the racing. I think anybody who tuned in and watched those GT mm. cars compete are, are still just smiling at uh, some brilliant uh, content. Behind the scenes, though, kind of ugly. Well, uh, World Challenge finally addressed uh, its most glaring deficiency made a change at the uh, the uppermost position. And uh, I think with that, I know personally, but also specifically speaking with a lot of people, uh, very you know significant investors in the paddock, entrance drivers, blah, 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 there was a big collective sigh of relief and sense of optimism that came in of, cool, we can essentially mark last weekend as the end of one era, one uh, uh, reign, 
and the start of a new one. They've put Greg Gill, someone who I've known for quite some time, someone who's a uh, former Austin publisher. Native, in fact, isn't he? Or at least he lives here now. Yeah, good man. He uh, he has been promoted. He was uh, somewhat recently promoted to the general manager position of the uh, Pirelli World Challenge Series, uh, effectively a num- the number two. He's been tagged as the interim CEO. Uh, I think uh, his management style and just general behavioral style is a radical departure of what the series had. Uh, its previous CEO was uh, one who uh, maybe worked from the scorched earth uh, approach uh, to things, and that helped uh, get the series uh, so far, uh, or only so far. I think with Gill, the, uh, the the leadership would be wise to let him hang around for a little bit, not necessarily hang the uh, interim tag over his head too heavily, mm. uh, because he brings a much smoother approach. Uh, and I, again, it's a great difference from what they've had, uh, so therefore, I'd, I'd at least like to see them try it and, and see if it works and if it meets their expectations, uh, settles the paddock. So those I've spoken with in the paddock have, have b- b- responded very favorably to this change. Um, it'd be interesting. Uh, they've decided to go in a new direction uh, in terms of management and uh, whether it's Greg Gill or someone similar to him, smoother, more executive type, someone who could sit in a room with a Scott Atherton or a Mark Miles, or some of those who run the other kind of road racing style North American properties and get along and build together. Uh, I think that's the direction they need to go. There's also talk of installing uh, a, a senior most competition director, which they clearly need. And the, the last two items I've spoken on about the CEO change and uh, the, the need or the, the desire to add a uh, more experienced competition leader, I don't mention those as deficiencies so much for World Challenge as they have been on the cusp. They might not have reached what as far as they should have in 2015, but they're on the cusp of being able to do something pretty amazing and taking this property that should be a wild success out of kind of the shadows and making it a big success. And the two things that have been that they need to do that are more polished executive type leading uh, in, in the boardroom, if you want to say, and then uh, installing a much more experienced person to oversee the competition department with those adjustments, good lord, I can't think of much that would keep World Challenge from being Mm. a kind of true eye-to-eye rival to IMSA uh, and maybe to IndyCar. The last thing I'll mention quickly on this, Heindy, is another thing which isn't maybe known or spoken of that much is the somewhat recent appointee to head SCCA Pro Racing. And World yeah. Challenge is an SCCA Pro Racing property. Uh, the head of SCCA Pro Racing is uh, someone by the name of Robert Clark, uh, who ran uh, successfully Honda, Honda Performance Development. Yeah, mm-hmm. multi- many countless championships and victories. Wow. Was also an owner uh, in part of Gilles Deferne, the uh, Gilles Deferne's ALMS program. Uh, this is someone in his accolades. And someone, by the way, we should say, Marshall who is absolutely rooted in grassroots motorsport. Let's not forget the Honda Fit engine program to try and replace the Formula Ford engine with something that had similar kind of uh, performance and uh, parameters, etc., to keep those Formula Fords going. That was, uh, that was an initiative that came from Robert, I think. 
Yeah, that definitely. Uh, the HPD folks uh, have been very active in trying to do that to expand their range of, of uh, business offerings. Uh, but also, yeah, it, they're while Robert did not found HPD, uh, Tom Elliott and others mm. brought that to life, made it made it into what it was. Uh, Robert had an incredibly long tenure. Uh, I can just tell you this: Robert's background and expertise it, it's vast, and the respect that man, uh, the the respect afforded for him throughout the industry is massive. So when I look at World Challenge, which again it's a domestic GT and touring car championship, this isn't we're not talking Formula One and Bernie quaking in their boots over, you know, no, no. the potential threat of the series. But I can tell or can say for those outside of the U.S. who maybe aren't that familiar with it, if you look at someone of, of Robert Clark's stature on the SCCA Pro Racing side, you look at someone like a Greg Gill who's been promoted to the interim CEO position, and whether it's him or someone in. Uh, Gill's general vein and adding someone a senior most person on the series side uh, to lead the competition department, grow it add, uh, add, groom and grow there. Wow. Truly, I am more excited about Mm. where Pirelli World Challenge Series could go on throughout all of its classes but primarily with its marquee GT class than I've ever been and I'm saying that as a former entrant engineer team manager in that series love it but i'm now really going into my first winter going wow if they get these things right and put the right people in place and leverage on their core strengths uh american road racing could have a some someone new joining that top tier a really important season coming up for pwc i think brian dortman makes a decent point here he's tweeted in at speculative said many of the issues PWC has dealt with this year was also being dealt with in the first season of Tusk. Uh, in some ways, Tusk had far more resources, money, and personnel-wise. It's going to be next year, isn't it, that World Challenge is going to be judged on. Is, is there a, you know, someone else with a, a huge amount of experience who's out there at the moment is Derek Walker. Is, is there a place for Derek Walker in that organisation? And, and would that be a... Uh, a hire that that might be sensible? You'd never guess who was invited to sit at the uh, head table at the World Challenge Banquet last weekend, Heidi, and that's not a joke. Um, (laughs) Oh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, saw the dear friend Derek last weekend in Monterey. He, uh, we call him the the master of puppets or the the pastor Mm. of muppets. Pastor of muppets, depending (laughs) on the day. Um, there have been overtures made, and this isn't coming from Derek, because Derek, uh, no, you know, no, 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 no. Uh, Derek, if he's, if Derek is working for a series, he will certainly share what's happening at that series. But when it comes to personal details, he's always been very good about keeping his mouth uh, shut. Um, I've heard that overtures have been made, I believe, from both sides, both from SCCA yeah. Pro and Pirelli World Challenge. Um, well, let me rephrase that. There's an ownership group that owns the licensing and marketing rights for World Challenge, um, World Challenge Vision, which is kind of an additional. They effectively run the series and hire SCCA Pro to administer it from a technical side. It's a bit of a wonky marriage, but I've heard that both on that uh, kind of owner-based group side and on the SCCA Pro side, uh, inquiries have been made about Derek's availability. Whether that does or doesn't come to pass. It's one thousand percent clear a Walker or Walker type is needed, um, and 
I don't want to, you know, I don't want to turn this into a thousand points of minutia, but you look at Marcus Hasselgrove, who came in as the new competition mm-hmm. director uh, or technical director, and uh, you know Marcus, I know Marcus. Yeah. A, a excellent human being, and B phenomenally talented in terms of engineering, technical mind, and otherwise. Also, brand new on the job, so that yeah. isn't taking away from him, that's just saying, good lord, this is his first year of being technical director for a racing series, having to come up with balanced performance and this and that. Were mistakes made? Absolutely. Did the paddock, you know, want to start an armed riot at times? Absolutely. So I'll tell you, Laguna was ugly listening to, you know, I can tell you that uh, if I heard the name, if I heard the word Marcus spoken, I knew that there was an expletive about to follow. And again, uh, I'm not saying that in any critical way of Marcus. I'm probably saying the opposite. This guy's first year. Uh, and really didn't have any sort of senior walker type to say, hey, son, I've been doing this for a long time. Let me coach mm. you. Uh, you look at Brian Till was brought in at the beginning of the season. First time ever is effect is asked to be the chief steward, driving standard setter, the top cop in race control, uh, which, funnily enough, was actually different than the job description he agreed to. He found out in the press release. He was like, oh, you think I'm going to do this and that? Well, we never talked about that. But mm-hmm. And then they brought in Dorsey Schrader to help, and Dorsey has some of that experience uh, from the vintage racing stuff that he does, uh, yeah. he's involved in. But uh, So I'm not so much trying to paint a portrait of miscommunication and incompetence, but it is definitely clear that if you look at World Challenge's competition side, new, new, somewhat new. Uh, they promoted um, someone who, someone to look after the touring car side, Dan, who's an excellent person, but brand new role for him. Lots of folks in 2015 assuming very important critical roles that can anger or please the paddock who are having to learn on the job or you know, some who maybe had slight experience in those areas. Uh, with a walker type being not only their their shield from above, but also a bit of a mentor sounding board. It's those things when I look to 2016, Heidi, and say, wow, if they can install that, Marcus all of a sudden not only has air support, but has someone to learn from and uh, execute on a nearly flawless basis. Run that down the line. Those are, again, provided the, uh, the senior leadership group make the right hires and put the right people in place, create some job openings uh, to fill these things. Boy, World Challenge could mm. be a beast. Let's take, uh, take some uh, quotes from the Twitter, some points uh, arising. Brian Dawkins says, having just been dealing with the IndyCar paddock, why would Derek Walker step back uh, into the PWC and another mess that he needs to sort out? I'd really like to see him back with a team. I think you echo a lot of uh, our thoughts there. Andrew H., uh, catching up earlier on about Formula One, uh, limited areas I understand. I do agree about cost and it being too high, but subscribe to the view that that's what Formula One's there for, to spend lots of money. Uh, and I'll ask Shea to comment on this because you've been involved quite closely with Transarm recently doing the broadcast, the CBS Sports broadcasts. Uh, SCCA have been involved in Transam and Johannes Guaglica pointing out, as a number of people have, how that has been turned around impressively. How much of that is SCCA? How much of that is Transam? Because it, they haven't really got to grips with, with, with World Challenge as yet. And I think we can see it as that codicil. But how much is the SCCA, SCCA influenced what's happened with Transam? How much has that been the, their own management group, do you think? 
Tough question. Don't take credit away from the management group because the people behind Trans Am have done a great deal to try and change the the trajectory that it was on. But in fairness, the SCCA being there is critical because when it comes to the on-track racing, which is the most important part of any weekend, when you've got good people in race control and people who the drivers can go to talk to, namely the chief steward, uh, James Foyle, You've got somebody there who's communicative, which makes more people want to come in and Mm. join the series because there's a place for them. And they're not going to be bossed around. It's not a dictatorship, Mm -hmm. as we've seen in some other series. Mm -hmm. So it is a lot to do with SCCA being there, but also the people uh, such as uh, just even Jim Deerhog coming in and bringing a budget to try and change things and saying, look, if this is what it's going to take, I'm happy to do that because in the long run, it's going to be a better product. It's been a a compilation of many different efforts, but I I don't think it would be where it is today without the SCCA. And even seeing from where it was from where I started early in there, when our first race was way back uh, in March, late February, early March, to where they are now. It's a democracy democracy where you go in week in, week week out, out, and people are happy to race there because they know they're going to be given a fair chance. That's That's SCCA. And and that's happened within a few months. You've clearly enjoyed what you've done, and uh, we've enjoyed watching you you do it as well. Marshall, the the, the Trans Am broadcasts have been a revelation this year. They have. I was going to congratulate Shay. I haven't haven't seen you in a little while, but boy, well, A, I've fallen in love with NBC Sports Network and the amazing uh, quality of motor racing programming they've uh, they're offering. But really enjoyed your work uh, as a reporter, pit reporter for the Trans Am series, and also thought your uh, deft handling of the uh, Tommy Dreesy retardation at Mid Ohio was uh, something that helped couch and phrase couch that in a way that maybe someone else would not have handled uh, with as much um, aplomb and diplomacy. Yeah, exactly. So great, great work and great seeing you do that. Yeah, and Thank we, you, Marshall. No, it's been, it's, it's been a good year uh, all round, I think, uh, for Trans Am and the way they handled that potentially very difficult and divisive situation. I think also... Uh, speaks to what he, uh, what Shea was just saying about uh, about that as as being a, a series and a management group that are growing and maturing uh, along with the the racing. Uh, we've got Marshall Pru on the line from Racer.com. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series Ten, Episode Thirty Six. Uh, it's John and Shea at quarter. Uh, Marshall is on. Uh, the left-hand course. Hoping to see Marshall here uh, at the weekend, but uh, yeah, that might, might not be possible for a, uh, a couple of very uh, big work-related uh, reasons. Uh, it's I know you want to be here, mate, but it might be just a, a little bit much to get you on the plane, do we think? Yeah, I'll tell you this. There's, <laughs> there's Sebring, Indy 500, 24 Hours of Le Mans, and Lone Star Le Mans that have just become my absolute favorites of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will know Friday whether I can jump on a plane and come out uh, to effectively be there first thing Saturday morning. So I'm also uh, doing some pre-grieving, knowing that uh, I could actually end up missing this event that I've been looking forward to mm. for so long. But yeah, uh, one way or the other, well, whether we- I'm there or whether I get to listen to you and Graham and others... Um, I'll be there in spirit, worst case, and if I'm lucky, I get to uh, be there in person. 
We'll keep a couple of chairs for you uh, so that you could bring all your gear, should you need to. The, the, we'll make sure that there's a space for you in the media centre. Before I let you go, I want to do a bit of, I suppose you'd call this industry news more than anything else, but it's very pertinent and very personal to a, a, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure. We've been following with interest the developing story of the potential change in the management structure and indeed the management group talking about management groups as we were with series but this time with a racetrack and a racetrack that that has a, a special p- p- place in many people's racing psyche that being Meister Raceway Laguna Seca uh, our regular listeners will have followed the story about the uh, local commissioners being in talks for quite some time now getting on for a year with ISC the National Speedway Corporation the guys and ladies at Daytona and uh, Potentially, with a view to those guys taking over the management of Master Raceway Laguna Seca from Scramp, the volunteer body that has been running it for so many years. And in a not unexpected but interesting development this week, ISC have decided not to tender for that work, Marshall. What does that say about the viability of Master Raceway Laguna Seca? says everything we thought uh, was true about the opportunity to manage this property, this uh, county-run, state-owned, county-owned, however you want to put it. But basically, uh, that is a product that does not belong to an individual. It's actually part of the mm. st- uh, state park, county park system. Uh, it tells us exactly what we thought, Andy. Uh, ISC, big corporation, uh, the the foremost name in track management uh, and whatnot in North America, spent 90 days looking through all the numbers, looking at all the financials, looking at the restrictions, limitations uh, put in place on any promoter by the uh, Monterey County Board of Supervisors, looked at ways to generate income because ISC is a for-profit publicly traded Mm. company. And they came away with uh, the conclusion that uh, ain't nothing there. Uh, there's nothing there, at least for what they would consider to be uh, worthy of, of opting in for. Uh, and the potential profits come from that. Uh, they didn't find uh, anything compelling enough to uh, answer the county's uh, request or interest in having them take it over. And so I, I don't, I'm not trying to say that, paint that in a negative light against the track or the facility mm. itself, but the the big issue, which I've written about and others have written about, is with the limitations placed on Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, specifically the sound ordinance and the really heavy uh, sound restrictions placed there, uh, yeah. the limited number of major event dates they can have, uh, and all the just the knock-on effects, uh, it makes it very hard for anyone to raise significant funds through the use of that facility, whether it is putting yeah. race cars on that track, whether it's holding a concert, whether it's a food and wine festival, you know, think of whatever ideas you could use to fill that place to make money. And there are enough restrictions put in place by the county because there are people that live nearby. They don't want too much noise. They don't want traffic problems. Um, ISC said, yeah, we, hey, we're open. To, we're cer- This is what we do. We're certainly open to it. We just can't find a way to make it worth our while or to appease our shareholders. So when ISC mm. says they can't find a way to make enough of a profit to opt in, 
What does it say for Shea Marshall and Hindy Motorsports Promotions Incorporated? What chance would we have if yeah. if ISC believes they couldn't? So that's a concern. Could that drive away others from being interested in filing, you know, in submitting an uh, an RFP or RFQ for this to the county? Um, and then there's the other thing as well, Marshall. Has the county burned its bridges with Scrump because? There was a lot of negative feeling locally, and, and Scramp is the locals. It is made up of people uh, who are passionate about that facility, who give of their time for no, for the most part, for no remuneration. And you know, it was. It's easy to point the finger at the at the the big bad wolf of Daytona in getting involved and trying to keep everything secret, but that as we have discussed in the past on this program that was at the behest of the the county commissioners not necessarily isc and to have gone behind scramps back there's clearly some bridges have been burned there and some relationships that are going to have to be very carefully rebuilt if scramp are going to be the the answer to the conundrum that the county commissioners now have yeah i mentioned this when we spoke on the topic uh, originally hindy there's nothing here to fault uh, where we can should I think should find fault about ISC or to pick away at them, they were asked to come in and assess the situation and see if they could help, uh, which they did because that's their business model. That's what they do, and they didn't find something. So again, for to me, anyone who's saying you know lobbing insults or whatever at ISC, I think that's ridiculous. That's what they do, and they obviously are successful at what they do. Uh, to your uh, point here. Uh, the contentious side, as I have been able to find, is on the board, the board side, Monterey County. I, I like to think Californians are all smart and enlightened and happy, glass-half-full people. I can tell you that uh, for some of the folks who uh, are currently elected to Monterey County's Board of Supervisors, uh, I don't know if they've snuck in from somewhere else, but they sure don't feel like uh, the kind of people I would uh, would say are, are local brethren. Uh, their behavior, based on written rep- written accounts, uh, anecdotal things, things I've gotten from other people, and even from what was published in this morning's Monterey County Herald mm. by reporter Jim Johnson, point to not only a contentious relationship, not only bridge being bridges being burned, but uh, the apparent happiness and, and or maybe a little bit of celebration to that point. Let me read a quick quote again. This is, uh, if you, if you want to read it in full, it's at Monterey County Herald. Dot .ca uh this is written again by uh, Jim Johnson local reporter who covers uh Monterey board and county supervisor items in general not just specifically this item uh yeah. there's one quote uh from Dave Potter who's a uh, uh, I guess senior member of the board of supervisors and uh this quote I was just like wow I guess we're kind of uh setting the tone uh this is in regard to ISC withdrawing I'm actually glad to see it go this route, Potter said, noting that he had expressed concerns months ago about the restrictions of a confidential due diligence process that didn't allow the county or our ISC to respond to Scramp's charges. And this continues his quote. Uh, quote, this is what Scramp asked for. We have no opportunity for newspaper ads. Our opportunity is in a public process. And he, uh, Potter closes by with this lovely uh, uh, flame-throwing statement. 
<laughs> now we have now we have an opportunity for a national or even an international raceway manager search. Be careful what you wish for. Dun dun dun. So yeah, as for bridges being burned, mm. and hey, maybe someone from the board could bring scramp, you know, some flowers, chocolates, and you can be happy again. <laughs> At least based on Potter's quotes, uh, I should say quotes based on Potter's statements during yesterday's board meeting, which Jim Johnson has uh, wonderfully documented and captured here. Um, yeah. So to those of us locally, you'd say, well, if ISC is out and Scramp's done it for 57 years, it sure would be smart for folks to maybe humble themselves, come together, figure out a way to, to make this thing work. Uh, it doesn't sound like the people who control who run the place have any interest, or, or I should say have any interest. Looks like the people, uh, the board that run this, uh, are not looking at Scramp as folks where uh, reconciliation should be taking place. They've actually been emboldened to say, all right, Scramp. You want to say we've been doing this the wrong way and we're SOBs and blah, blah, blah. Guess what? Thanks to ISC stepping out, we're going to increase our search to even international levels to find someone to displace mm. you. Uh, wow. You, you also brought up a good point, I thought, when we originally talked about this. And I'll, I'll throw in a couple of listener points here. Um, Philip says in uh, – this is Philip Browns. He says, surely it is um, – beholding to the county to periodically renew their agreements to ensure they're getting the best deal. Yeah, I, th I think that's true. I'm not sure this is the right way to do it, but fine. And Dave Alcock says, maybe ISC not finding sufficient return on investment in Laguna Seca is a testament to how efficiently Scramp do things. And, I, and I'm looking at that same, um, that same article in the Monterey County Herald, uh, and this is a quote that's come from Craig Neeb, the ISC's Executive Vice President and Chief Development Officer. He says, um, due to the initial stages of our assessment, Scramp served as a resource to our team and we su suggested we work collectively as part of our proposal going forward. Unfortunately, after attempting further discussions, Scramp declined to continue the conversation. And this is something you brought up. There's a very different level of potential cooperation from people who are doing it for, uh, you know as a hobby uh, as not for profit organization to then being asked to being involved in something the size of ISC i think there's some naivety on both sides there if i'm honest uh, i'm i'm not attributing any blame but surely isc couldn't have, have thought that they would get scramp to do the same jobs for no money while pocketing a profit from the place, I mean that to me that isn't that is a very naive um, statement that, that that's come out of uh, out of those uh, out of those th those uh, negotiations, Marshall. I have to admit, Heidi, and I didn't include that in my update because I couldn't find a way to write it without just you know crying, laughing onto my keyboard. Um, yeah, so one of the complaints was. Scramp was very helpful in the beginning with ISC's due diligence process and then stopped being helpful. And that was uh, cited by ISC in their We Decline to Go Forward letter. And it was also referenced by the, the, the board supervisor, Dave Potter, and Scramp's uh, reluctance to help. It, it, I just, I was crying laughing. It, it's a bit like saying, Hi, honey, uh, I want a divorce. 
would you help me uh, in my search for a new husband? And then yes. being surprised, I say, you know, and then believe it or not, uh, my, my current husband said he would not like to help me find a new husband. You go, really? You're surprised at this? Good Lord. No, of course they're not going to make it easy for you to get rid of them. And that's somehow a surprise or selling or, mm. or a demonstration of a lack of character. To your point, what kind of naivete is uh, – mm. anyways, this, it, it's pure comedy gold. If you were to tell this to someone who didn't know the situation, say, hey, tell me how this sounds. Do you think these people would hope they go, oh, my God, no. Yet there's shock and awe that uh, Scramp wasn't trying to uh, help them throw dirt on their grave. It just, yeah, mind-blowing. Um, Pete, we, we're going to let you go because uh, I know you've got a lot to do uh, and you've been mega tonight. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work for Justin's family and anything we can do to help if you can't get here over the weekend goes without saying uh, we'll be doing. I know there's some very exciting pieces that need picking up from here um, that Cher has promised that if I get my hands on them, we'll eventually work that way back to to LA and I won't be allowed to steal away into the night with them, which I, I would probably do. A uh, quick final note from you. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I appreciate that note, but uh, I absolutely have to point out that uh, NASCAR and IndyCar driver AJ Allendinger has rallied the entire NASCAR mm. paddock to donate. Uh, NBCSN uh, F1 pit reporter Will Buxton has been the conduit for every F1 team to come in, as has Lee Diffie. Work it with Liz, uh, Liz Power, Will Power's wife, Heather Carpenter, Ed Carpenter's wife. There's so many people that have helped make this happen, that have gone out and got the things uh, or brought people in to make donations, make uh, these items of Available for the auction. Uh, there's a, a small army of people that are going all out. So I would absolutely not want anyone to think that I've been, uh, the, you know, the, the primary force behind this. Yeah, keep rallying the troops, mate. We'll see you soon, hopefully at the weekend. Marshall Pruitt joining us uh, live from California, uh, the man from Racer.com, and more from him next week. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 10, Episode 36. John and Shea in Austin, and joining us. From somewhere near Milton Keynes, in a moment or two, will be Nick Damon. He'll be talking two wheels. Uh, more of your tweets, please, to at Specutainment. Uh, and I'll just retweet what Scooby-Doo22B uh, has uh, put in there, because that is the link to the Laguna article. Very interesting indeed. Uh, viability means change, says Nick Holland. Laguna is it may, could be a California version of Goodwood. Uh, if there's no appetite to change, then it would need a, a benefactor. Uh, good evening to Nick Damon. Hello, everyone. Hello, Nick. Hello, well, darling. How are you? How many, how many layers are you wearing? Um, I'm in shorts. Don't believe you. You've never seen it, so. No. <laughs> uh, Nick uh, joining us tonight dashing back from another one of his uh, European trysts or I, certainly I've been, I, I've been wonderful wonderful Copenhagen he's not on 30 seconds and he's singing well, yeah, uh, yeah. we'll come to uh, come to Nick in, in just a wee moment uh, I want to talk want to do a bit of catch up on MotoGP Nick because we we've mm. had a couple of three races and not been able to talk about we should can just I mention of course just, I was able to actually listen to the start of the show on uh, Marvellous Tune in the Way Up can I just um, uh, correct you on something uh huh the historical money that Renault want is not the money that Lotus have for their TV ah. appearance what they're after is the just turning up money as we described it 
Yeah, ah. the huge amount of Ferrari get, the small amount of money that, that McLaren get, and the, and the money that Red Bull get with, without doing anything, they feel they're an historical team, and they've got a point, being there since 1978, and they want Bernie to give them some historical money, some just turning up cash. That's what they want. Ah, uh, okay. And, and well, how's uh, that like? I'm, I'm glad you've mentioned that, actually, because I felt I was slightly paddling in um, over my ankles, which is already <laughs> getting a little deep and scary for me. Um, so how, how is all that going to... I mean, it's spookily working out almost exactly as we've discussed on this programme several weeks ago. Yeah. So can you tell us how it's going to finish? Then we don't have to worry about looking at the story anymore. Well, the interesting thing is, is that the negotiations which are undergoing is the fact that Bernie does not want Lotus to go under. No. There was too much damage by the Caterham Manor issue. They don't want yes. Renault to buy it in a fire sale. Renault is saying, if we're not going to buy it in a fire sale, you've got to make it worth our while, i.e. with historical money, which means that they get forevermore. Um, yeah. Them being the sole engine supplier, the whole thing we talked about last week is still very much on the cards. Um, obviously, Charles Goen. Is that how you say it? Goen? How do you say his surname? Goshid. Yeah, Goshid. Carlos. Yeah. Carlos, sorry. Has come out with a big anti-Red Bull statement this today, um, so that's all unraveling uh, in, a, in a massively fast way. And and Renault are again rattling. We're going to pull out. We're not going to do anything, um, which is their option. But of course, it's very expensive in France to lay off all those people. Let's not go any past that. So I think the plan. I was assuming was... they didn't do something else, Nick. Well, that's it. And I think the, the interesting thing is that you know, we, I think what we said last, last, last week about them buying Lotus, whether they actually, Lotus's um, Mercedes engine deal for next year is honoured and they carry on going Mercedes and they don't have a, a, a Renault engine at all. It comes back as a Nissan or an Infiniti or, or, or whatever it may be. Or uh, an Alpine. Yes, exactly. Whatever the following year. Um, they are effectively, um, quite cleverly now, for once, they are one of the few people now who have their, their arm up, have Bernie's arm up behind his back, because there are things that Bernie doesn't want to happen. Um, another team going bust being one, and also another team which, which seemed relatively healthy going bust. So it's drifting on, and it's drifting on because there's some, some standoffs, and Bernie's trying not to give them money. And the point about it is, the historical money, you know, as we all know, Bernie doesn't, has to come from the pot, and the pot is currently shared out amongst other historical teams. And we all know how altruistic F1 teams are, so that's where the sticky point is. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's talk uh, MotoGP, yes. because at the weekend, horror of horrors, we didn't get um, Valentino Rossi on the podium. So yep. his amazing run of podium finishes this year comes to an end. And yet... He still managed to increase his lead in the championship. It was, a, it was an interesting. It was a. It was an interesting race, and it was one of the races I think, which the first one I've ever seen, which illustrated the fact that MotoGP does not have pit to bike radio, so no yeah. one knew what was going on. Um, and it also, you know, the, the, all the leaders, even Marquez, who eventually won it, came in at least two laps too late. Agreed. Um, as the track was drying. The information was there from, from Bradley Smith, who made a mistake and then decided to just go with it, and uh, that resulted in coming to That was an awesome ride. Awesome, I mean, awesome ride. To be very honest, yeah, and he went, yeah, I just did, I made a mistake and went too long and thought, well, I'm committed to it now. I'll keep going and see what happens, because at that point, he yeah. knew, he, you know, what can you do? And he obviously he's staying well, on both it. the Brits, yeah, uh, he, fell, he fell off and continued. Reading fell off. And... No, Reading, Sorry? Reading, Reading fell off and continued. Sorry, Reading fell off and continued, and Bradley Smith just stayed out there and thought, uh, was, I might as well stay out now. 
In fairness to Scott Redding, he didn't do a, a typical motorcycle MotoGP falling off. He did, he did a me at the track day falling off, where he overshot into a gravel trap and then fell over at two miles an hour, looked embarrassed, picked the bike up, which I couldn't do in fairness, and then got back on again. That with was no your shoulder. No, with no damage at all. Obviously, obviously, when you go off, normally you'll take out a lever or a peg, but that's, he didn't do that. Um, but then the weather, just so people don't know, what happened was the race started in under leaden skies but dry. Um, it then drizzled, drizzled more, uh, got to a point where it's right on the edge. Is it wet? Is it dry? Is it wet? And they all came on for wet. It's probably about the right time, apart from Bradley Smith, who forgot. Um, and, and the leaders it, who went too long. No, no, they came on to wet the correct time. All right, yes. Yeah. Then they did it. Then it started wet for quite a bit. This, this is a day 27 lap race. And then it started drying out again. And then it became very obvious. I think it was um, Lawrence Baz who went in very early. It was. He went very fast. Bradley Smith was going very fast, like seven to nine seconds a lap faster than the guys at the front. Lorenzo had in on his board at least two laps. We never saw Rossi's, lap, mm. Rossi's board. But the, the point about it was Lorenzo and Rossi were only interested in each other. They didn't well, care. Well, g- good point, because Right Turn Lover says, do you think Yamaha will be happy with both their riders only looking at each other and managing to forget to win in the process? Well, it, you know, eventually, you know, I'm not quite, the message finally got to Marquez, and he was a couple of laps late, but they got so far ahead it didn't matter, and he came back out in the lead. But, but Rossi carried on for, for, for think, three laps after that, and Lorenzo continued on, uh, came in a lap before Rossi. Theoretically, with Lorenzo coming in a lap before Rossi, and the tyres then 13 seconds a lap faster, the dries and the wet. Unfortunately, in his attempt to try and make up the most of it, as he went past Rossi, who was, who was changing his tyres at the time, uh, Lorenzo threw it down the road um, for the first time in, in a number of races. And uh, the net result was Marquez won, was chuffed a bit. But Rossi came in fifth and extended his lead by 12 further points. But Lorenzo, going off, wasn't told to Rossi until he saw it on the pit board a few laps later because he said that in the interviews yeah. afterwards. He didn't know. I, 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 did think there was, I did think there was one point where, and I, and I said this when even I were watching it, it was a packed weekend of, of sport, and I was watching it on catch-up on the, on the hard drive after the football. And... I said, it doesn't matter to Rossi because he's only interested in the championship. Okay, it would be nice to win a race, but he's got to just make sure that he either gets ahead of his teammate or limits the damage in terms of how many places he is behind him. At one stage, I thought he was going to try and make those wets last to the end. And, that, and then I thought, when I saw the super slow-mo, I thought, oh dear, no, that, that's not going to happen. But, I mean, Marquez really has only got the, the wins to go for. He's out of the, the championship. The guys who were second and third, um, uh, Redding and um, Scott Redding and... So who's the other British that's gone out of my head? Um, Bradley Smith. Thank you. Bradley Smith. Uh, fantastic. So you had two satellite bikes second and third and an Auburn-class bike in fourth position. That's that's the what even even MotoGP likes water. But the thing, and the point to make, make it is, even though Marquez won that and gained, uh, I think twelve or thirteen points on Rossi. Obviously, because he fell off the previous race and Rossi won two races, on he's, he's just net further behind. And he's now he's just there's only five races to go in the MotoGP calendar, and he is sixty three points back. So you know, with effectively Pedrosa doing nothing, um, again, unless we get some wild wacky races, that's going to be the one, two, three. And Marquez isn't going to win all of them. He might win three or four. Um, so he is, you know, because of his fall, the fact he's fallen off three times, he's out of the championship, you know, barring a real interesting selection of miracles, which seem unlikely. So he's had one bit of a bit of luck this time. Um, and Lorenzo, of course, now is back 23 points. So, you know, 
with them probably whatever happens, it's most likely that if Marquez wins, it's because it's a Honda track and the and the Yamaha's win together. Or Marquez will be third because the Yamaha track, a good track for Yamaha, and they'll be together. So, you know, it's very hard to gain 23 points. He needs effectively to finish ahead of Rossi at every single one of the next five races. And even that might not be enough. No, that would it's be enough. Almost, that, would, that would almost certainly be enough. It's, it, it, well, it's, it's almost at the stage now, though, as if Rossi can finish one place behind his teammates every single race, then it, that's all he has to do. He's just got to keep him in sight here now, hasn't he? He doesn't well, have to. Rossi doesn't have to push hard shit and and try and win races. But that's not Valentino. No, that's true. Oh, I don't know about that. I think uh, with with age comes great wisdom, and uh, I think he's uh, he knows. Still exactly. waiting for it in your case, mate. What's what's going wrong there? Well, you know, I I, I, I I'm I'm continuing making mistakes. He's young at heart. Uh, exactly. You know. He's young at head. That's <laughs> never mind. I don't know what Ooh. his heart is, but he's well. young. He's young in the head. But yeah, I think I think it's you know if. Lorenzo won the last five races and Rossi was second in the last five races Lorenzo would win by two points so you know but it's very much a case really where it's uh, that's not very nice uh, where it's a case of more than likely now Rossi has to throw it away which that's is not true not Jonathan so. you've seen not, not done so. <laughs> um, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it at the weekend, and uh, it it the commentators in the UK, Keith Hewan, who I've known for many many years. In fact, he commentated on my very first motor race, and Julian Ryder back at their absolute imperious best, uh, having had their relationship broken up, their broadcasting relationship broken up for a few years, and Keith Hewan just kept saying, and I absolutely agree, this only happens. In MotoGP, this is the only place where you get this much drama. And, you know, to have, just to put it, for those of you who aren't two-wheeled um, uh, aficionados, Nick, put it into context. The two satellite bikes coming on the podium and the open-class bike coming in fourth position. How do, how do we square? That would, that would be like having the two rebellions... Not even that, actually. It would be like having the the two rebellions on the on the podium in WEC. No, no, I think, yeah, it's like it's like having two rebellions on the podium and then in fourth place a P two car. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No. That's 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 pretty good. Um, it it was a remarkable turn of events. Uh, they are next at where? They are next at the Circuit of Aragon for the hundred thirteenth Spanish Grand Prix of the year. I do like Aragon. It's somewhere I've not been to yet, and I'd like to go there. Yeah, so they they got they got Aragon, then they go off to uh, Montegi, then they go to Australia, then Sepang. So they got a lovely little world tour coming up before finishing the really championship. Guess where? Yes, Spain uh, in uh, in Valencia. Valencia. Uh, I, I think Jonathan is only harsh, being harsh on you because of the uh, Gillingham Blackpool result, uh, which Blackpool supporters like to call a reverse, a two-one reverse, which obviously means they're lost. Yes, um, but it's it, it, yeah. In fairness, uh, two one's almost a victory for them, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> getting eleven players on the pitch is pretty much a, uh, a victory uh, for them. Um, before we let you go, still a quarter of an hour left. We can go back to some of the. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll just finish up with a, uh, some bits and pieces from here and a bit more Formula One news. Keep the um, uh, keep the tweets coming. Uh, RC Racing is the Peter Pan of midweek motorsport. Well, like that. I'm, that. Not, I'm not sure I can fly, but I do have a, a, you know, a pathological fear of crocodiles with clocks inside them. 
Yes, as as you do. A uh, couple of uh, it's a very they don't Brit- bite hard. It's a very British thing. Uh, bits of panic news from here. Some changes in drivers. Nick Tandy now definitely isn't in the KCMG car. That was a sort of yes, no, maybe. Well, Nicola Pierre is down by KCMG. I saw him earlier hanging out in their little uh, booth. Um, I was going to say Cabana, but that's because Cabana Boy is on the chat. Um, <laughs> he was back there. He was looking fit and ready to go. He was happy as a clam. And, yeah, I, I think Nick might try and wedge himself into the car, but Nico's ready to take him out. Right. Uh, and uh, not this many... Oh, no, there's a few people doing double duty this weekend, yeah. isn't there? IMSA and FIA. Well, Porsche have two... They would have had three if Nick Tandy had been doing. Uh, Earl Bamber is going to be in the 92 and the 88 Abu Dhabi Proton. Uh, Patrick Pile is going to be in the 91, I want to say, and the 911. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's doing both. And then Pierre Kaffer is going to be in the Risi Ferrari for the first, and then he'll be in the Baikalis car for the uh, WEC race. So those guys are going to be busy and quite frankly tired by the end of the day and, and let's not forget it's all on saturday this week this year uh, not a split day it is uh, imza uh, in the early part of the day and then just two hours and 45 minutes after the checkered flag the whole pit lane is rejigged and something over 100 concrete blocks are moved in the two hours and 45 minutes between checkered flag and red lights going off. So you don't even have all of that 165 minutes to actually get it all done. Whilst that's going on, FIA are going to have their autograph session on the pitch straight, which I think is a brilliant idea. Um, not sure how that's going to work. Uh, I've spoken to a few people here. They are not certain whether it can be done in the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's not something you just practice is it although with those concrete slabs i have seen more forklifts than i've ever seen here before this is going to be um think of strictly come dancing so you think you can dance it's going to be like that with forklifts (laughs) i am so i like nothing better than settling down and watching a forklift at work it's one of those things that i just could watch for hours and i think there will be multiple opportunities for me on saturday afternoon i kind of feel like what they've done is they've given each team its own forklift (laughs) instead of if you want access to your garage (laughs) move these with that well, the guys at Rebellion have got uh, have have got good uh, experience of that. I remember them having their own um, Rebellion uh, branded forklift at Fuji uh, a couple of seasons ago. Um, so let's go to uh, before we disappear uh, this evening. We've got ten minutes uh, to go. Just a, li- a little bit more from. Uh, we'll keep Nick with us actually towards the uh, the end of the short night if Nick doesn't mind. Um, anything else on Formula One that we missed earlier on that uh, well, you, you want? I didn't know about Rossi till I heard it from you guys because I've been obviously in a foreign country and not, I'm not able to uh, to pick up what's going on. I think the, the big story obviously is is the Renault engine side of things and, Re- and Renault and what they're going to do and what's going to happen with um, Red Bull. Um, it is quite nice to see Red Bull's um, bitching for a bit of time when you come home to roost. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it, we're, we're now with, with, with several more F1 races to go, and as long as this Singapore GP goes ahead with him and people can breathe, um, I think we're just seeing the, uh, the 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 march towards the World Championship for Lewis and to pick up his third World Championship. I mean, obviously Rosberg, as you said, is, is now onto his last engine of the season because they had to scrap the one in Italy, so he's um, on the back foot there as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's interesting. The other thing I would say that there was there was a technical working group meeting on Monday, and we've not heard of a dicky bird out of what came out of it. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and we've also got the start of the race for the chase for the quest for the cup. The thing. The thing. Yeah, and it was sort of an anticlimactic finish, I have to say. Uh, it was very funny, though, because before the season started, Tony DeZeno and I each did predictions of what we thought for many different series, NASCAR being one of them. So did we, and I'm sure <laughs> Tim is going to dig them out next week and tell us how badly wrong we were. Well, Tony and I each missed three of the 16 drivers, only. But we each missed three different drivers. All right. So it's six altogether, if you count it that way. But it's the usual cast of characters. Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, Kurt Busch, Carl Edwards, Keselowski, Truex, Hamlin. And then the people who made it sort of at the last minute, McMurray, Jeff Gordon. First time in the chase for McMurray. That, for the number one. That is quite remarkable. I hadn't realized that till I saw that stat on the TV here a couple of nights ago. And as somebody who's won me money in the past uh, from, from the Brennan boys, I, I hadn't picked that up. That's, that's remarkable for someone who's had as much success as him. Well, 24 hours a Daytona winner. Uh, he's been in everything he's won at Indy in the uh, NASCAR race that they've had there. He's somebody that NASCAR chasm actually uh, bets on quite a bit too, John. And it, all he had to do to get into the chase was start the race. Right. So he was pretty much locked in. But it was Ryan Newman, Paul Menard, and Clint Boyer who raced their way in, if you will. Jeff through. Gordon in there as well at 13. Yes, yeah. Jeff Gordon was the, uh, the last one who made the cut. Um, but some people were wondering, you know, does the chase work? Does the format work? Well, yeah. You look at the cast of players going for the championship. There are two, three, maybe even four guys in there out of the 16 who I wouldn't rank at the top of the field. But everybody else, potential champion, absolutely. But also, it underlines again the might of the big teams. Hendricks, Joe Gibbs, Penske, Stuart Haas, Racing dominate that top 16. Well, you just hit the nail on the head there. Joe Gibbs racing with all four of their drivers making it in. That is massive. And it is the big the big teams. Although we did see Casey Kane didn't make it in. So mm. Hendricks didn't have all, all of their drivers. Furniture Raw Racing, Martin Chokes Jr., is, is that a satellite of one of the other teams? Or is that genuinely a, 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 a one-car team? Should have had Dex here for that, shouldn't I? I, I meant to I ask him about say, that earlier. I want to say it's associated with somebody else, but I can't think of who it is at the moment maybe uh, maybe michael waltrip racing i've i just don't know uh, the uh, uh eric Al uh, eric just didn't make it in 17th casey kane in 18th kyle larson a lot of people's favorite uh to make the chase didn't make it in 19th greg biffle austin dillon uh, aj allmendinger all not in the chase but in the next five or six places uh beyond that so we get to the, the playoff system now, which is intensely complicated from here onwards. Well, you win, you're in, is the easiest way to, to make sure that you get through. And they've got three rounds to do it until it's whittled down to 12. We're not even going to try and guess who's going to make it into the 12, because to figure it out, even after two races, you really don't know. You have one bad race, and you're out. That's what happened to Jimmy Johnson last year. That's what yeah. happened to Dale Jr. And ironically, it was the same race that took them both out of contention. But the people really are going to be keeping a close eye on Jeff Gordon because it's been his finale season where everybody's been saying goodbye to him at every single racetrack. And they've had 24s out on the 24th lap. It's been a big deal. For him narrowly to make it, 
this is his mm. opportunity for a championship. Right. The other big story of the week, which I've left till the end because I wanted Nick on this uh, as well, was the LMP2 engine and electronics contract. Congratulations to the guys at uh, at Gibson Engine Technologies up there in Derbyshire. Uh, John Manchester, Bill Gibson and the guys must be delighted that they have got a uh, 4-litre V8, 600-plus horsepower engine going into the back of all of the ACO FIA P2s from 2017 onwards. The interesting thing for me, which I hadn't expected or seen, um, was that there was a, there's a single electronics manufacturer as well, that being Cosworth. Uh, so right in Northamptonshire, just down the road from Nick and I. And this has, this has really interesting uh, connotations because the way I read it, Cosy will be an overarching supplier, not just to those Gibson engines, but also share to anybody who is running a P2 prototype here in the States. They've got free choice of engines. It could be Ferrari, it could be Honda, it could be Ford, it could be whoever, but they're all going to have to use the Cosworth electronics setup. I see Cosworth shirts in our paddock outside right now, not because the WEC is here, but because of Michael Shank Racing. So I don't know that anybody else has been utilized in the States. So we don't we don't have that many P2 runners, so mm. that's something to uh, research this weekend. The, the thought from my point of view, Nick, originally was that any variety that we might have had in terms of engine configurations, a four-cylinder turbo, a six-cylinder twin turbo, an eight or a ten or a whatever uh, cylinder, might have to disappear because everybody has to use common electronics, but that's not necessarily the case, apparently. No, it's... Um it's the, the common ECU, I mean, obviously, they, they use them in a number of uh, classes. I mean, it's, it's more designed to prevent, um, you know, to, A, to allow the FIA to monitor the things they want to monitor in a, in a, a uniform way, and B, it's obviously designed to prevent anyone hiding um, traction control or whatever, if it's not allowed, in, into the electronics. But actually, the firing of the cylinders and the number of cylinders you have, that can be soft in the parameters, and the engine mapping and all that is, again, it's like you work with the electronics manufacturer. Um, but it's it's based on the fact that it's very open and transparent and everything that's done can be seen. It's not the first time this has happened, Nick. Uh, no? In the last knockings of GT1, they went to a standard ECU, not completely successfully. I remember rather too many Corvettes and Fords with engines with bits on the inside wanting to be on the outside. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's always a, a, a risk. It's, it's obviously not that much of a, of a risk um, when you've got a single engine as you have in Europe because they'll get those two tuned together in no problem whatsoever. And obviously, when you have the multiple engines in the States, there's always, there is always a chance that someone will put a, a one where a naught should be in the programming and there'll be some tremendously unpleasant pre-detonation and there'll be bits of engine where they shouldn't be, as you say. But on the whole, you know, as we move forward and we learn more things, you know, there's these things are, are ironed out. We've been using common ECU in F1 now for 10, 12 years. There was a little bit of a problem in the first year. Uh, in fact, it wasn't even really using pre-season testing for the first year, and they had ironed it out by the first race. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it, yeah, it, it, it is a, a relatively easy way of saving money and a relatively easy way of closing down an area for um, questionable development. So, should you put it that way? But you don't think, then, that it will stifle the the opportunity for variety from the from the American um... no if they want to run a, I mean they want to run a V8 they want to run a V6 they want to run a twin turbo that's not going to be affected by the common ECU package that's not what it's designed to do 
it's, it's, it, you know, there's, there's, it's still able to run run different maps. It's still able to, to control the bits it needs to control, uh, which is obviously ignition and uh, and, and those sort of areas. But um, well, so that's where I, where I read it. But um, obviously, the one thing you have to remember is, of course, that the the ACO does want to stifle it. They do want to get it down. You know, they've 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 made this concession to the Americans um, because they were kind of had to because of American commercial requirements. But you know, in their in their vision, their vision is the the four chassis one engine concept. Yeah. Uh, and that is how it should go. Uh, that's just about it for this evening. Uh, no time for a pointless press release, although I would urge you to find the Beach Dean puntastic press release from earlier this week. And Johnny Adam had a pretty good personal one uh, as well. A reminder that we will be live across the weekend starting tomorrow. Check RadioLamont.com for details across IMSA Radio and Radio Le Mans. Uh, for coverage of the United Sports Car Championship, uh, CTSC, the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, and of course the FIA World Endurance Championship. It's uh, it's is it Johnny and uh, Baby Brundle, I think, at the weekend uh, on the WEC coverage for those of you on radio in sound and vision, of course, for uh, IMSA Radio. And Graham and myself will be doing telly and. Uh, there's no time to explain because the Lama, along with me, are off to a personal appearance at oh, yeah. Audi South Austin. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Nick, thank you very much indeed for being with us and dashing back tonight to Marshall Pruitt, to Shea Adam. I'm John Hinder. The responsible birthday adult uh, was Eve Hewitt and Johnny Palmer was the man behind the desk in our main control room in London making sure we all went to air. We'll talk to you at the weekend and be back next week at 8 o'clock UK time, whatever that is for you, around the world. Join us then on another edition of Midweek Motorsport. Bye for now. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.